Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dads on the Rocks podcast. This is the June edition of the Dads on the Rocks podcast, proudly brought to you by, well, we still don't have any sponsors yet, but we'll get there eventually. Uh, Today's guest is somebody that I've known my entire life. He is an older, wiser version of my older brother, but doesn't come close to me. He is my eldest brother, Michael Moss. Mike, say hi to everybody. Hi to everybody. How y'all doing? Uh, Well, it's a podcast, Mike. They cannot respond to you, but thanks for trying. Um, As it is with every single podcast, we're going to start with what we are drinking today. Mike, since you're my very first guest on the Dads on the Rocks podcast, I will let you go first. Mike, what are you drinking today? I am drinking Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. That sounds interesting. I've never had that. Uh, Is it peanut buttery? It's actually, it's a good flavor. It's as if I was drinking... Whiskey with uh, Reese's peanut butter cups in it. So yes, it's very delightful. Two things I love very, very much. So I'll have to try that. Today, I am drinking Jefferson's Ocean uh, Aged at Sea, courtesy of my very good friend, Adriana Graham. Adriana, thank you for this. It is fantastic. I was almost done with the bottle uh, several weeks ago, but I wanted to save the last glass for the Dads on the Rocks podcast. So Mike, cheers. Cheers, buddy. And I'll be honest, I'm not a... um heavy drinker at all but this is really smooth i was surprised when you when you mentioned to me that you were going to be drinking uh whiskey for the show today because i didn't i didn't pay you as a whiskey drinker normally it's i mean i know you're not a huge drinker to begin with but when you do it's traditionally beer so i was surprised that you went with whiskey for for tonight well i wanted to be like my little brother very sophisticated with a nice drink to uh start the night so and that's every little brother's dream for his big brother to want to be like the little brother. <laughs> yeah, I figured when in Rome. <laughs> uh, like I said, today is the June edition of the Dads on the Rocks podcast. Uh, I'm trying to think of any holidays that come in June. Um, I don't really know of, I don't know of many. I think there's oh. one coming in a couple weeks. Father's, Father's Day. Father's day yeah um, doesn't yeah. doesn't father's day coincide with something this year i i, yes, I feel like your, i saw it on the calendar your nephew's birthday my your nephew's no birthday. no that can't be it my it nephew is. your nephew's uh, birthday wait a minute something also, else is on my nephew's birthday yes um the person i think you admire the most in life um is turning 43 and that would be me you are turning 43 on father's day this year can you believe it good heavens i remember when dad was 43 old bastard i know (laughs) he still had some hair some Some. (laughs) (laughs) i know it's a little early but do you guys have any plans for father's day um or right, let me ask you this. What what do you what would you like to do as turning 43? What would you like to do not only on Father's Day, but on your birthday? Well, I will be getting up at 5 a.m. that day, taking a shower, and then driving about 40 minutes to go to work. Your commute is 40 minutes? Yes. That sucks. Then since uh, my wife, your sister-in-law, Valerie, got COVID a week and two days ago. We were forced to all quarantine our house, all five of us, and uh, I had to stay at home during Mother's Day. So my boss had to work all Mother's Day, excuse me, and that means Father's Day, my birthday, I will be working. It's only fair. Uh. It's only fair because the last two days of that work week will be 
Thursday, Friday, and I am taking that off to have a wonderful 10-day vacation. I'm hosting some people in my life, special people, you, mom and dad. Goodness, that's right. I am coming to see you for the first time in so long. This will be my first time at Tampa since uh, Stephanie and I first got together. So getting close to a decade, I'll be taking a trip up to Tampa. Absolutely. I'm excited. I'm very excited. And you know who's very, very excited is my darling three-year-old daughter who cannot wait to see her, as she calls them, her friends. (laughs) And I have to correct her every time. Yes, they're your friends, but they're also your cousins. She is, she is really, really looking forward to coming to, to see them. Well, I mean, you and Valerie, she could do without, yeah. but she's really looking forward to seeing all three of them, not just Alyssa, who she, who she adores, but all three of her friends, as she puts it. Well, her friends over here decided that they wanted to get something to uh, entertain her friends. So your beautiful daughter and your beautiful son and our other nephew... Francis will be welcome to our house with a brand new pool. Ooh, brand new pool. What a perfect thing to do for, to kick off summer at the, uh, the end of June where it's, it's just atrocious around two, three o'clock in the afternoon, getting in the car and you almost sweat to death, just getting back in the car after it's been in the parking lot all day. <laughs> so, but yeah, she's, she's excited. We already, we already told her, uh, no, actually, no, we didn't tell her about the pool yet. And I think Andrew's going to be, significantly too young for that but but Allie's gonna have a ball she'll he'll, he'll be trying to pull her out tooth and nail to get out of the pool with with her friends <laughs> well one of the things you'll learn as a parent um as I learned when I was Andrew's age sometimes the best way to learn is just to be thrown in the pool um <laughs> I and the, the pool itself is only about a foot and a half deep so um you know I think he'll be okay <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think it'd be okay if, I mean, standing up, which he can't do yet. He, uh, he's, I don't, I think he's probably roughly around a foot and a half. So once he can stand up on his own, I think he'd be all right, but maybe, uh, give him a floaty in the pool. Actually, that'd be really funny to, to put him in a, one of those city floaty things for babies yeah. to put him in a, a pool. That's a foot, a foot deep. <laughs> well, we could always throw his father in there with him and he can splash around and for, Oh, I'll be out there anyway. Yeah, we all will. Um, are there any plans to fill it with jello like uh, our lovely sister suggested to recreate your 30th birthday, which, by the way, folks, was a blasty blast. First of all, to correct you, that was fruit cocktail. That's right. It was fruit cocktail because we couldn't find enough jello or it was too, too difficult yeah. to make <laughs> that much jello. That is correct. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, fruit cocktail. I have bought four five gallon jugs of fruit cocktail from Costco. And um, luckily they were on sale. So I got four, four gallon jugs of fruit cocktail for only $19.99. That's the advantage of those places. It is. is. Um, (laughs) So I bought the whipped cream for after. So when we're done, we just throw the whipped cream in and go to town for dessert. So, you know, I'm thinking ahead. I can't wait. So we've got, we've got entertainment and dessert all rolled into one and probably, you know, some sorts of, undiscovered diseases that that come along with you eating fruit cocktail that you've already been swimming in that's okay my kids have been bleaching the pool every day so they dump <laughs> they dump out the water Alyssa gets in there with uh, some bleach and takes care of it and fills it right back up with water so we're good oh perfect just a just a little uh, bleach liner perfect yeah <laughs> 
you mentioned uh, Valerie got COVID. How's how's it been uh, quarantining in that in the house with her? And because luckily we've been all able to stay away from and from getting it. So I our, our neighbor got uh, was diagnosed or not diagnosed, but tested positive a couple of weeks ago. She's since been cleared, but that was the first time that it hit, hit close to home for us. So we we luckily haven't had to to deal with it, but. How has it been dealing with somebody in the house with COVID? Hasn't anybody else in the ha- house tested positive for it in, in the past, past no. year and a half? No. Um, the the sad thing is about this whole disease is if one person um, in the high school where my kids go to or the middle school who sits 10 seats away is actually in the next classroom. Uh, what they do is they say um, your kid had contact and they send the kids home for 10 days. And that's happened four or five times already all year. So last year where they were sent home almost immediately and finished the school year with homeschooling, they've had to face the same situation after going back to school this year, only to be sent home multiple times. Wow. And the the sad thing is that when they go back, uh, I think it's tomorrow or the next day, they only have 10 days of school left and they're done for the year. I I can't even imagine what that's like to try and coordinate I mean, luckily now the kids are, are older. They can stay home, you know, by themselves. Mike, if uh, if you guys don't know, uh, Mike and Val have three teenagers. Mike, I'll let you give everybody their names and uh, what it's like to have three teenagers in the house at once. Um, it's hell. It's absolute. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a 17-year-old son who uh, we were so excited to be having and me being the gigantic football Miami Dolphins and I so proudly named Zachary Thomas Moss our daughter was uh, scheduled to be Daniela Marino however my wife my wife vetoed that and then our third our our second daughter who's 16 our second child who's 16 Alyssa Janine named after middle name our grandmother our third kid Michael Frederick is named after pretty much every single one of his grandfathers and a couple of his uncles so yeah so <laughs> and, and his dad yeah <laughs> yeah i guess michael Frederick, yep <laughs> and he is 13 going to be 14 so it's a uh wow. it's a it's an adventure every day more than you'll ever understand <laughs> now you'll understand in about 13 years but i remember being i, I want to say i was maybe in middle school when zachary was born he's he's 17 now so yeah, I, I must. Well, I was probably in high school when uh, when Zachary was born. I remember going up there uh, when he was born to visit you guys and and see him. And I can still picture it. I was at your your mother and father in law's house holding him for the very first time. It was the first time I'd ever held a, a baby, and I was super nervous. But for some reason, somebody trusted me to hold a, mm-hmm. an infant, mm-hmm. and I kind of tried to not move. And he was sleeping, and he uh, fussed a little bit, and I'll never forget. I, I I I sang "Yellow Card" to him. I only I can't remember the name of the song, but I sang a "Yellow Card" song to him, and uh, he chilled right back to sleep. So it's I'll I'll never forget that. But it's and it seems like not that long ago, but 17 years ago, it's it's crazy to me. And then the others who came along, they were they were fine too. They were okay. <laughs> you know, one of the greatest memories I have about being a father is about a week after our first son was born, after Zachary was born. Um, you and my sister, Catherine, and mom and dad and Grammy and grandpa came up to visit us. And we came over to the hotel and we decided to go over to the IHOP that was connected to the hotel. 
And we're sitting there, we're having our dinner and Zachary is being the perfect baby, 10 days old, if anything. And he was sleeping in the car carrier next to you and I. And I don't know if you remember this story or where I'm going with this. I do. As soon as you said IHOP, I remembered. So Freddie and I, quick uh, backstory, Freddie and I, especially when he was two years old to about when he was maybe 20, 22, were big wrestling fans. Well, I decided to grab Freddie's attention and I took my sleeping son's arm and held it up and let it drop. And I counted one. I held it up a second time, let it drop, counted two, held it up a third time, ready to drop it, ready to call the three. He's out for the count. And while still asleep, I let go of his arm and it froze in the air. <laughs> like a true wrestling, <laughs> like a true wrestling move as the Vince McMahon was in his ear. All right, kid, you gotta keep your arm up for the third. And he did. And he did. And it was I mean, I know a lot of people, a lot of people did that in, in the wrestling age when we were watching when, like, especially when I was younger, but it I remember at that point it I specifically remembered Hulk Hogan doing it. Lit, uh, keeping the arm up on on the third yeah. count, and I kind of thought that Zachary was going to just start shaking <laughs> and wake up. <laughs> Luckily, he didn't because you never want a baby to wake up angry. But but uh, that was that was amazing. I know in podcast land you can't see this, but I'm sitting here hulking up right now. Just <laughs> no. Oh man, what what I also kind of wanted to uh, expand upon was. Uh, I'm a father of, of two that are, that are very young and you're a father of three that are in, in their teenage years. Um, what is, what was it like going from, I mean, I know it's a gradual uh, progression, but what are the major differences of having three toddlers or, or, or young kids as opposed to how they are now? Um, now I, I'm sure it's different with the level of schoolwork, you know, driving, going off to college, perhaps where they're at in their life. And I know it's, I mean, even the world is different back when, when they were younger, sure. Video games and things were around, but the internet was not nearly as prevalent as it is now. How big of a difference is it going from how they were when they were younger, as opposed to now being teenagers? As you are aware, when they're that young, three years old, two years old, and your wife is working and you're at home with two kids and you're giving them a bath and you're getting them all situated for the night, getting them set to watch Teletubbies and Barney and everything else that was on back in the day. Well, I'm at home. I have two kids. I give them a bath, three and two, get them out of the bath, get them dressed, get them their sippy cup, plop them down so I can go and pick up the wet towels and drain the water and get that all in my mind gone for 20 seconds to coming out to find the front door open and the kids are walking along the parking lot to the front gate looking for their mom. Oh, God. Constant, constant, constant. you got to keep an eye on them. And no matter what I thought I did right, it's just that one little thing of, you know, thinking that their kids are fine. They're, they don't know how to unlock a door. They don't know what they're, here's their milk. Here's their, their TV show. You quickly learn that simple little things like that, you just, you cannot take for granted. I was never one to ever leave them alone in the bathtub, no matter how full the bathtub was, or in, in our case, how shallow it was. But um, you never think to look at what else the little dangers are. You know, 
we immediately, I mean, they were fine. I ran outside and ran and grabbed them. And they were, they were okay. But that thought, just that thought of what happens when you take your, your eyes off your kid for just one minute, no matter how old they are. And you actually learn that as they get older, as they're five, as they're 10, as they're 15, you know, the level of trust you need to have with these kids to be able to let them go out to a friend's house, let them, when they become drivers, let them drive off somewhere. It's nerve wracking every single day of your life with them. And probably as uh, we could probably ask our father, even at 43 and at 36, 35, 36, you, you still think about, are the kids okay? Is everything going to be okay? Even though I'm not there anymore and they're adults, you never lose that feeling of, are they okay? Or you can't be with them. You can't follow them everywhere. You just have to have that trust. That's, uh, that's one thing that actually goes hand in hand as from when they're toddlers to when they're teenagers. You will always, always wonder, are they okay? What are they doing? Um, nowadays, the iPhones have the Find My Find My Phone app that everyone in our family is connected to. So we can easily see where my daughter is when she's with her boyfriend, where my son is when he's with his girlfriend, where my little son, my 13-year-old son is when he's at the um, donut shop. <laughs> we live in a great neighborhood in the city of Hudson, and there just happens to be a the point of directions that i tell everybody if you go to lollipop strip club we are the first development right after that <laughs> only to find out that my son and his neighborhood friend and another one of their friends had rode their bikes or walked the trail up to the area next door to lollipop and we're eating donuts filming it like look we have donuts next to the strip club yay well there's a picture worthy of instagram <laughs> but thank god after like that yeah, at least you have an idea where they're at yeah it's funny that technology clearly it plays a heavy role in our everyday lives now but you know from a parental standpoint and even steph and i we we have a similar app on our phone that uses like the find my phone thing where you know i'm i'm big on because of you know my background in law enforcement i know what can happen from when the time that you leave the house going to work or the dangers of driving on the road, we would always text each other, Hey, I got here. I'm on my way home or I got there safe. But now with that, you don't really have to do that because you have that fail safe of, okay, I, I know that there, that she made it to work. Okay. In case she doesn't text me or, or what have you. And, and it kind of extends to, to the kids with, with their phones. Uh, so it's kind of a nice safe part, which, which our parents obviously didn't have. And it makes me wonder what it would be like raising kids back then. I mean, you, you say that you have to build that trust that you need to, to rely on the fact that you've raised them to, to a point where, where you can confidently say they're going to make the right decision uh, when they're out and about. And we always didn't. I mean, you, me, and our other brother are a testament to that, specifically him. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it, it's it's amazing how, how different it is from between then and now. It's still the same. We have different tools at our disposal, but it's still the same thing you have to you have to teach them that that responsibility and that is what garners the trust in them you know it's it's funny growing up in um we grew up in miami and lived there until 86 when we moved to a city called miramar which was got us out of dade county and put us in broward county at pretty much 
on the border, but it was still Broward County. I was eight years old when we finally moved. And it was after some questionable issues that happened in the neighborhood that we finally dad decided, okay, we're out of here. But you can see it. Our sister found a dead body in the canal. It's okay. (laughs) That wasn't even, that was in Miramar. That was after we moved out of Miami and into. Oh yeah, that's right. That, that was in Miramar. My mistake. I remember correctly. And I, you know, have the best memory in our family. You do. I, I won't even d- deny that. You do. <laughs> One story I was told was uh, a, a, a suspect was loose in the neighborhood and was hiding out in the shed near our house next door, possibly. And when the police officer, um, when they found him, they went to open the shed and he came out with a machete or something after the cops and they had to shoot and, you know, drop him, basically kill him. Jeez. And I think it was at that point and along with other things that, you know, dad finally told us, all right, we're out of here. I mean, it was, it was the right call. I don't, I don't know since, since I wasn't born back then and I, I don't know what area it was, but I, I can imagine that it wasn't, you know, a great area, but, but it was the right call yep. to, to get us out of there since he had the means to, to do so. Um, and then even, even so moving to Miramar, Miramar was good for a time. And then eventually it, you know, the area degraded to, to a certain point, like I said earlier. And at that point he had to move Which again. It seemed so. to happen fast. Uh, I mean, I lived in our Miami house from, from the day I was born to 1988, or I'm sorry, 1986. And uh, we were only in the house in Miramar from 86 to 92. 92, right before Hurricane Andrew, I remember. So actually I was there for two years shyer than I was in Miami. But growing up, our mother was a, she was a phenomenal mom. Three kids that she was taking care of and pregnant with you at a certain point. But there were days that mom would um, sleep in a little bit and I would just go outside. I mean, I lived there till I was eight. So seven, six, five, I would just go outside and play with the neighborhood kids. No issues, never had a problem, never had, you know, I was in trouble for doing it because everyone knew I was either next door at Judy's, I was across the street at Calvin's, or I was down the street at Jimmy and Danny and Russell's house. So we all knew where we were. And the the popular memes on Facebook, like if you understand what this means, and it shows the street light turning on, that's how it was. That's exactly how it was. You knew if that street light was on, guess what? It's time to come home. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while, you'd hear Mike from the front porch and mom is calling me and or Patrick to come on home. It's a different, you know, I don't want to say it's a different time because nowadays with my teenagers in the neighborhood we live in, they'll go outside right, right after dinner and still a couple hours of light and they'll play with the neighborhood kids until it's dark to the point that they can't see what they're doing. So they come on home and we have that trust with this neighborhood. It's a great neighborhood and uh, full of kids and, full of neighbors that we actually are friends with, which I know you have a particular neighbor that you are close with. I can't speak on the fact that Catherine does or not, our sister Catherine, nor can I speak on the fact that Patrick does, but the neighborhood we live in, it's, it's phenomenal. We know everybody. We have parties together. We have go across the street, sit in the garage and have some drinks with. I mean, in fact, our neighbor, our neighbor who lives down the street, uh, who moved in the same time we did, is also from Miami. Big Dolphin fans like we, and uh, they have a 13, 14 year old son, Mikey's best friend. 
unfortunately, the father just passed away from cancer. Oh. And the entire neighborhood came out. Um, There's a flagpole in the cul-de-sac down the road. And we all lowered it to half. They, it was lowered to half mass. As a group, the community came and we had our little memorial for him. And people said some things. And we all had our cries and we lowered the flag and uh, presented it to his wife. And what a what a great neighborhood, a great way to show that the neighborhood was there for the grieving widow and the son. You can't ask for any anything better in a neighborhood. No, that's fantastic. That's, I mean, like like we're kind of in the same. We have, like you mentioned, our our neighbors that we're very good friends with. Our our kids play all the time, and it's it's kind of nice that we have uh, not just them, but there's there's um, people to on the other side of us that, that we've become very good friends with too. And we can see how the community we've been in the house for uh, nine years now and how it was when we first moved in, as opposed to now, there's a lot of younger couples uh, that are either going to get married or are recently married or had their first kid or are ha- having their second kid. It's how the community and, and we plan on staying here for a while because we really, really like our neighborhood. We like living down here and how we're going to grow up with these people and become friends with these people. And when, by the time we are where you're at, where our kids are teenagers, they're all going to know each other and we're all going to know each other. And that it's funny. I think about like Halloween where I see all the people with their uh, sitting in their garages. Like there's a few neighbors, like in one garage and like, Oh yeah, we're all over here. Come on, you know, skip that house. We're all over here. Just becoming friends with their neighbors and all giving candy out together I'm like, man, that, that sounds like so much fun. So our, and actually our very first Halloween in the house, we wanted to not go out, no, not go crazy and party. We wanted to sit in the garage, order pizza, drink beer with friends of ours. We didn't, we hadn't made friends with the neighbors yet. So we had other friends come over and we just gave out candy in the garage. And I'm like, this, this is what I want, but I want to be friends with the neighbors as well. So I, I love that idea of like a really good community that you can be friends with and good people that live around you. That's, that's ideal. So that's awesome. Uh, Steph mentioned the other day that she wanted to put Allie in like cheerleading and stuff. And I'm like, at three years old, I I think that's a little early. It's weird that I never considered putting our kids into extracurricular activities other than baseball, because that's all I ever grew up with. So Mm -hmm. what did, I don't know if, did you ever like coach little league or anything like that, or as opposed to what you do now, which we haven't talked in a while, so I don't know what, what it is, but did you, did you ever do anything with the kids? Like, uh, earlier and, and or are you doing anything with them now so when our kids were younger um gosh this was seven eight nine nine ten years ago uh we put them in one year of t-ball and um it was it was great it was awesome I was one of the assistant coaches and I thoroughly enjoyed it but a little story about me my wife and I we married quick, had children quick, and we were not financially stable. And take that with the fact that neither of us had a college education, we were unable to stay in the house that we were living in when we did T-ball. And we moved around quite a bit. The one year of T-ball was, was awesome. I, I absolutely 100% recommend getting a child into sports um, if anything, teaching them hand-eye coordination. Um, you bring up cheerleading. A uh, little known fact about me is 
I am a head cheerleader coach. Are you really? I am. Um, when we finally were able to become more stable, and my wife and I moved up to Hudson four years ago, bought this house, my daughter wanted to get into cheerleading with the local sports organization, Hudson Cobra. Hmm. So I got her in. And, and to backtrack about Allie, uh, I see a lot of these young girls, three, four years old, who want to join cheer. And it's a great start, and I would always recommend it if I wasn't the coach. We have a hard time trying to find coaches for girls that young because their attention span is not there yet. So to try to teach these girls, you, you pay $250 for these girls to come out, go into competition. In, in honesty, they're not going to win. They're not, oh, you're there to perform. We understand that. You're there at the football games. I understand that. But I've seen a lot of coaches who have come and gone after just one year because they start off in these age divisions and the girls don't want to do it. They cry. They don't have the attention span. I really, truly believe being a coach um, that five, maybe even six, is the right time to get these girls started. You're not missing out. You can easily teach girls tumbling. You could take, you could do that as an extracurricular activity with your children, take them to tumbling classes, let them learn the basic cartwheels, stuff like that, uh, walkovers, front walkovers, back walkovers. But in regards to letting them become cheerleaders at such a young age, um, I, I really feel t-ball, soccer, you're, you'll have more of an advantage as a parent teaching them the, the running abilities, the hand-eye coordination that comes with t-ball, um, stuff like that. But yes, I am currently a head coach for cheerleading. Where my hesitation comes from, like I have, I have no qualms against uh, cheerleading. I've seen other kids on Facebook of friends of mine that they're dolled up and they've got like, like as young as my daughter is now three, four years old and they're dolled up with makeup and the shortest of shorts. And maybe it's because uh, of my profession where I, I know of pedophilia and child pornography is, is, you know, is a, a very real thing. I can't fathom putting my three-year-old in makeup that makes her look too adult. And I understand exactly where you're coming from. I say that because um, part of the competition routine is to get these girls in their uh, performance outfits, which include bloomers, which include the shirt, the skirts, and their hair dolled up and a ton of makeup. I can't tell you the the type of reaction that I received when I first showed interest in becoming a coach. And I did it for my daughter. I did it for no other reason than for my daughter. You will, you will, if you don't know now, you will fully understand what it's like to be a father of one daughter. And you could have 20 kids and having one daughter, there's that special bond you share with her. And I love football. I love baseball. I love basketball. Uh, I love playing, but I am not a coach. Right. I don't know how to teach you how to play those sports. I don't know how to teach you how to cheer either. But <laughs> there, there is a, there's a special aspect of having somebody out there 
to be the enforcer, to be the Arn Anderson of <laughs> cheerleading. I hope that's your title when, and, when it comes to cheerleading. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the enforcer. I became the head coach this past year when the assistant, when the head coach who was there the previous two years, who I was assistant coach with, had to quit for family matters and the fact that she lived a good 30 minutes away almost, but kind of by proxy, I became the head coach. I was lucky enough to form a coaching team with someone who was fresh out of high school, had done cheer most of her life, and was able to create the routine, the moves, the different steps and the different uh, directions that these girls needed to go. And in the same sense, I was there to be the financial backer for our music, uh, to be the I stopped, everyone run a lap, everyone just know when something wasn't right. As a father of having my daughter in cheer those three years that I was the coach with her, to last year when I became the head coach and she became an assistant coach out of um, another coach quitting or getting fired and so on and so forth. We were coaching together, different teams, but together. Being the male, the only male out there and all of the cheerleaders, why aren't I doing football with the boys? Why aren't I doing this? Well, it started for a love of my daughter and it became something that I thoroughly enjoyed because I became friends with these coaches who, were, who I was coaching with. And I took uh, a lot of criticism, especially behind my back, uh, unknown to me until a year or two later when the, when the coaches came up to me like, you know, on one of our drinking nights. You don't know, you don't know what we did for you and how much we love you. What are you talking about? People would come up and say, why him? And why do you have a guy out there? Because it's Coach Daddy Mike. That's why. You get on his team, you'll understand. And I was fortunate enough to be respected by the the head board uh, of the Hudson Cobras. And they wanted me and they asked me to be the head coach. So it's a passion now. So anyway, moving on, I wanted to give my guests the opportunity to speak about something that they enjoy, something that they like. Uh, so Mike, I'm going to give you the floor. I'll give you uh, the opportunity to present your topic or just something in general that you'd like to talk about. So have at it. You know, one of the things growing up um, in the 80s, we had the classic rock and wrestling WWF Paul Kogan, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior. And I had actually became a big fan of it in 19, gosh, it was 1985, right after WrestleMania 1 started. And the neighborhood kid across the street when I lived in Miami had all the foot, foot and a half tall rubber wrestling action figures. The ones you can't find today, um, they're all made of pieces of cracked <laughs> plastic and fall apart. These things were amazing and they were so lifelike. So he had these figures and he and I, well, what are these? What what are these? He's like, it's wrestling. You got to come watch wrestling. So he got me into wrestling and I started watching it and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> and of course, our father hated it. Clearly. Hated it. <laughs> what are you doing watching this crap? And as much and as much as our father hated wrestling, what did he do? He would take me and Patrick to the Miami arena to watch the uh, house shows. Of course he would. Of course, knowing our <laughs> father, he didn't just get us seats. He got us box seats where they had the food in there. <laughs> oh. 
Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Classic dad. But uh, even when he didn't uh, care for your product, the thing that really drove you, your passion, he, in his own way, supported it and um, never denied you your pleasure, I should say. And it was uh, with you when you turned about two or three, when I got you into wrestling and we used to play wrestle and I used to pretend like I put you in a sleeper and I'd say, okay, Freddie, pass out, just lay down like you're asleep. And without you knowing the results, I used to just put my hand over you and count one, two, three, and you'd lose. And you smartened up to that. And every time I tried that on you, <laughs> All right, Freddie, you sleeper, sleeper, you're in a sleeper and go to sleep. And I go, one, <laughs> two, and you get up like, oh, damn it, he knows. But um, that was that was the special bond you and I had. And that lasted a good 12 years of uh, your life with me to the point where when I was in high school, me and my my best friends, we started our own little independent wrestling. <laughs> our own independent little wrestling gig that we did at a friend's house in his backyard. And um, we created the COW, the Cooper Organization of Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, you were not graced with seeing the videos that were recorded of the COW. But let me tell you, most fun times I ever had when I was preteen and early teen, all I, all I ever wanted to do was hang out with my brother. And he had the coolest friends and you know, one day it's a story for another day, but one day my brother and his friends decided that I was cool enough to hang out with them. Eventually, when I found out that Mike and his friends were doing a, a wrestling thing where they would record it in, a, in their buddy's uh, back patio, that it looked it was a square sort of, and that's where they would be their ring. And they all came up, came up with uh, al- not aliases, but uh, characters, gimmicks, gimmicks, Mike, who was. Uh, Mike the Spike Nolan, partially named after uh, our mother-in-law's or our mother's maiden name, but they all did uh, different gimmicks ranging from Raven. There was an entire stable. Uh, what was it? The uh, with the the masks. Um, on? Blackie was um, our friend Michael Black. Blackie was uh, a couple of characters, Quicksilver, and he was um, uh, a Cactus Jack, always going around bang bang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jamie uh anderson was jamie anderson <laughs> yeah jamie anderson the, the ever creative <laughs> everyone played like two or three characters we all had our multiple characters that we'd have to get different costumes on and of course everybody knew that oh it's the same fact guy that was you know <laughs> three matches earlier wrestling again <laughs> but the the best part about that was we had our friend jeff uh, Rothberg, who was an actual wrestler, he had uh, trained up north in Pennsylvania under Afa the Wild Samoan. So he had mm. wrestling training. He performed with uh, one of the local Florida companies down here in, or down there in South Florida. And he was our go-to guy. He knew what to do. He taught us. He trained us. He was so good. I was comfortable letting him pick me up and slam me which being the bigger guy that I am, he showed me how to do it. I let him do it. And I still did it wrong and didn't tuck my neck and landed on my head. And, and when he, I gave him the uh, chair and he threw it to me and I caught it. And I'm supposed to turn my head and I didn't. And he super kicked the chair and it smacked me right in the face. <laughs> that was, you know, lessons learned. 
but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think what was the stable because House of Pain. Somebody would, was like House, House of, of Pain. House of Pain. Oh no, no, not not that one. The one where um, everybody wore like some kind of a, a white T-shirt over their head or something. They all had like a gimmick. Somebody had like a gold dust. Cruel, Do you remember the cruel dust? Yeah, it was the cruel. The, the cruel, cruel world order. The cruel world order. That's right. I, I still, I, I still remember Tor- for some reason Torsky has cruel dust. That that sticks in he my head. I mean, this was twenty he years wasn't ago. Around but... much. He was actually in college at Tallahassee, so we were only able to get our extra participants when he was down for summer break or spring break. It was um, generally it was uh, me, you uh, towards the end there, Jamie Anderson, Michael Black. Mark Graham occasionally and Mark Jeff Rothberg. That's right. The Madman. The Madman Jeff Roth. That was a lot of fun uh, hanging out with those guys. That was good. When I was the right age to to be aware of and know what's going on, I was into wrestling because of you and with you during the golden era of of wrestling. The the absolute best best time to be a wrestling fan, which was the Attitude Era and the Monday Night Wars, which was obviously yep. Uh, WWF at the time and WCW that was such a fun fun time in wrestling and it because it was so competitive it was WWF and WCW competing for for audience and this I'm guys I'm talking about like the classics of the wrestling world not too long ago I I, I was I was in a wrestling mood and, and I was watching like old school Royal Rumbles I can't remember exactly which one but it was it was the Royal Rumble where Stone Cold Steve Austin ultimately cheated and won, but it was the one where he threw everybody out and he was sitting on the turnbuckle. He looked at his watch waiting for the next person. And I had texted a buddy of mine who's also a wrestling fan. And I said, I'm watching a Royal Rumble where it's Bret Hart, The Undertaker, Vader, Mankind, God, who else? Stone Cold, 12 names that are legends that are in the Hall of Fame. And I said, this, this is like the best day I've had all week. <laughs> Just seeing all these old people that, that I absolutely yeah. love. Diesel came down, but it was, it was likely after uh, Kevin Nash went to WCW, but it was played by Kane. <laughs> yes. Isaac Kane from yep. PDF. <laughs> but I, I, was, I was lucky enough to, to have wrestling be the coolest thing ever in the absolute best time ever, uh, which was the Attitude Era. That was my most fond memory of, of wrestling, having such amazing talent at the best time, the pinnacle of wrestling. That was that was the start. That was the very, well, I'd say that was the start of the Attitude Era. It, uh, experts in the wrestling world uh, claim the start of the Attitude Era uh, happened at Survivor Series 97, and that was the uh, match between Bret Hart and uh, Shawn Michaels. And Bret Hart, Bret Hart was already um, prepared to leave to go to WCW. This was after Vince McMahon signed him, signed him to a lifelong contract and, and then eventually came in and said, we can't afford to pay you that. We welcome you to go and seek money from another company. And he did. And he signed WCW. The problem was he was still the champion. So what had happened was they had a plan. How are we going to get the belt off Bret Hart? Well, Bret Hart did not want to lose in Canada to Shawn Michaels. So he said, you know, we'll, we'll do a screw job here and kind of uh, disqualification. And then the next night we'll 
I'll have me lose the belt to Sean wherever you want to. Well, everyone wasn't happy with that except for Bret Hart. So during that match, they, Vincent Kennedy and McMahon had people go to the ring. And when Bret Hart was in his own move, the sharpshooter, he had Shawn Michaels' leg and was twisting it to reverse it. And they called for the bell and they changed titles. And it was called the Montreal Screwjob. It was, um, it was at that point that Vince McMahon became the official bad guy, the biggest heel in all of wrestling. And it wasn't anybody. It was Vince McMahon, the perfect, the perfect heel to his, to his heel character was Stone Cold. So as a heel, the bad guy that he was, the crowd was loving him because he was more real. And Stone Cold became the fan favorite and took on Shawn Michaels, won the belt and took on Vincent Kennedy McMahon and, continued to make wrestling it's uh pretty much at its peak in my opinion during that time uh the ruthless aggression area uh, era that later happened with uh john cena triple h batista all all those big names in my opinion can't hold a candle to the rock stone cold triple h Shawn michaels during that time not even close a hell of a time to be a wrestling fan I can't believe that the Montreal Screwjob is the start of the Attitude Era for some people. Well, no, I, I, I take that back. That It does kind of make sense because the realness of it, because at that point, I mean, I don't know if you know, but Vince McMahon was still just an announcer or someone, someone behind the stage. Nobody knew that he was like the CEO the owner, of the company. Yeah. He was just, he was using, he was using somebody as a front to, as the CEO of the company when in reality it was him all along. So I don't know if that's when people knew that Oh, okay, this is the guy calling the shots. But that's when it became a little bit more real for people. And prior to that, it was it was still good. Oh, speaking of which, when you mentioned The Rock uh, in that Royal Rumble match that I had talked about before, Rocky Maivia was also also in that uh, like twelve person thing, which was it's it was funny to see you know Dwayne Johnson such a such a name now. Yeah, you know this this little quirky kid that's that's got a a lineage to live up to. He was nothing at the time, but you, you could see it that he had had the fire in him. That was awesome. But I think what really turned was the 97 Royal Rumble. And that's when Stone Cold was the one checking his wristwatch. And even though he didn't wear a watch, he kept staring at his wrist. That was 97? Yeah, that was 97. Wow. And uh, he was eliminated and snuck back in and eliminated Bret Hart for the win. And so the big WrestleMania that was supposed to happen between uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels ended up being Bret Hart and Stone Cold. And they had a classic match, bloody as anything. And that was a match that Bret Hart put Stone Cold in the sharpshooter. And the famous camera shot of Stone Cold, him bleeding everywhere. And you just see his face and blood has come down his face. But he never tapped out. He packed out. So they counted him out. and. And then people were like, oh, this guy is awesome. Let's start. I know he's a bad guy, but hell, that he, was, he's our guy. That was the turn from when it was, when it became okay to root for the heel. Heel, yep. if, if you don't know, heel in wrestling terms is bad guy. Uh, whereas uh, baby face baby or face. face is a good guy. But at that point, it became okay to root for the heel, the bad guy. And I, I think that if, if you had to put a picture to it, like you said, Stone Cold's face in the sharpshooter on his belly, putting his hands to the mat, lifting himself up, profusely 
bleeding from the face. And I, I can picture as you were saying, and I can see the blood just dripping down his face. And I don't know if you remember, but um, I took a, a, a cooking pan shot to the forehead during our cow days. and I will I never up- forget it. <laughs> I came up bleeding. That was hardcore, buddy. That was hardcore. Um, I'm, I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but real quick. In that, that was an Iron Man match between Iron, uh, between Stone Cold and Bret Hart, was it not? No, it was not. It wasn't an Iron Man match. It was an I Quit match. It was an I Quit match. Okay. Yeah. Was it the Iron Man match or the I Quit match where Ken Shamrock was the, the guest referee? That was the I Quit match. That was the I Quit match. Guest, yep, he was the guest referee. That's what I okay. That's what I remember, and that was like the introduction of Ken Shamrock. He wasn't like a, yeah, a name correct. on the card yet. That is correct. That's what I. But I, I get those two confused sometimes. But I remember that Ken Shamrock was was in there in that general. No, the the Iron Man match was Shawn Michaels and maybe a twelve. Yes, twelve. Bret Shawn Hart. Michaels and Bret Hart. Okay. Uh, going back to yeah, going back to the cookie sheet to the head. Uh, circling back to what we talked about earlier when Mike and his friends had the COW, the Cooper organization Organization of wrestling, my brother in his infinite wisdom decided to what they call juice himself. He brought a razor to, to uh, Jamie's house that night and mid match or towards the end of one of the matches without telling anybody, he took a razor blade to his forehead and cut himself open a little bit to make himself bleed for effect to make it look good for the camera. Mind you, nobody is watching this except all of us. We think it's hilarious and funny. We're not putting this out. Mike juiced himself to bleed profusely from the face for fun. For, <laughs> not, he for wasn't trying to get hired anywhere. Entertainment. That's all it was. Oh, and, that. And the- was that story. the death of COW? I think was. that was the that final was one. Last. That was our last one. That was the death of COW because that was like, oh, that's that's a little <laughs> much, Mike. <laughs> you know, here's a quick story for your audience. The reason why you were there that night, and you were there that night, correct? I believe so, yes. No. The reason why you were there that night is because my friends who, you know, now your friends, um, Blackie and Jamie decided to come to our house in Cooper City and pick me up and we were going to the coffee shop. Now here's poor little Freddie, he's 86, he's 11 years old, at the most 12, sitting on the couch in our living room, just watching us getting ready to go out and looking all sad and puppy dog face, like, you guys are going out? Yeah, we're going out, we're going to the coffee shop, okay. Yeah, my mom quickly called me over and she's like, he just wants to hang out with you. He, you know, he admires you guys and want, really just wants to hang out with him, with you guys. So I go, okay. And I look at him like, you want to go with us? Yeah. All right, go get dressed. Let's go. <laughs> so we bring little 11, 12-year-old Freddie up to the coffee house with us. And we're outside drinking our coffees and just bullshitting, shooting the crap, you know. And all of a sudden, this, 16 17 year old girl with as natural 36 double d's as anyone has ever seen came running by and me and my two buddies all 16 17 year old selves of ours are just staring at her you know we're 
high school boy, not really experienced, not knowing what to do or say. He's just staring. And all of a sudden... Silent as could be, just watching watching the show as it goes by, not saying anything, not catcalling or anything, being respectful, just kind of checking it out. And then... That, imagine Baywatch in the slow-mo, and as they're running, yes. they're just almost knocking her out in her face. <laughs> and all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, we hear jiggly, jiggly, jiggly. <laughs> Little 11, 12-year-old Freddie comes out with the most perfect expression you could have absolutely put on that night and me and blackie and jamie just look at each other and we pissed ourselves laughing so hard and it was at that moment we knew there was no cooler kid to hang out with than my little 11 year old brother <laughs> and we took him everywhere we went from there on in in today's today's culture it's it's certainly not okay but you know back then And I don't, I don't know why I don't, I, I never meant to impress anybody. It just me just about to jump over the edge of adolescence into puberty. It just, the words came to me and it's on, honestly, it was completely, completely mindless. And it was, it was the best call I ever could have made, made because that was the greatest day of my life, actually. It was the absolute, that was, it, it made my week, month, and year. That was the day I knew that my, my kid brother was the coolest person to hang out with. Prior to that, you, it, I mean, I, at that point, I was just your kid brother. And then, I mean, I, to this day, still I am. But at, at that point, I, I switched from being, you know, a young kid to take around places because your mom said so. But after the fact, or sorry, after that, it was, it was okay to bring me, to bring me places. And, and that led to so much more. Like I, I still have your friends back then are, are still my friends now. I mean, it's not like we, you know, send each other Christmas cards, but, but like, I'll reach out to them and talk to them. And I, that never would have happened if that evening had never happened. If mom never forced you to bring me with you to the coffee house that night, it was a three minute drive. And you had to have somebody in, in your passenger seat that night. That was it. Yeah, that was, a, that was a proud day for me. It really was. That was likely the beginning of more than just us being brothers, but, but led to us being friends. So. so now it's time for our mailbag. And as I look at my phone, still I have nothing in the mailbag. I am urging everybody to please, if you like the show, if you want to send us a message, please write into our uh, email. It is dads on the rocks podcast at gmail.com. Please send us a message. It could be anything, whether you say you like the show or you hate the show, or if you say you hate the show, I mean, I mean, fuck off. But if you want me to drink <laughs> something, if you want me to drink something uh, that you think I might like, or a topic that you might want us to talk about write in, I, I would love to hear from you guys. If you could please like and follow on our Facebook page, um, it really helps us out. Uh, I'm currently on uh, Instagram, uh, like us on Instagram, Dads on the Rocks podcast. Uh, I'm currently trying to get on YouTube, but it's proving a little difficult. Uh, if you want to know how you can listen to us, if you're talking to somebody and say, hey, you might really like this podcast, we're currently on Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, Google Play in the Google Play Store. I'm trying to get on the Apple podcast app. It's having some difficulty lately, but uh, I'll get there soon. 
Pandora, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio are in the works, so hopefully they'll be up soon. Please share the podcast. Uh, my biggest thing is that I want to reach as many people as I possibly can. So if you know somebody that might dig our show, let them know about it. I really appreciate it. Mike, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, I really appreciate you being our first guest. I'm so really proud that uh, I could have my brother being our first guest tonight on the show. Mike, do you have any last words for our guest tonight? The best thing I ever did was become a father. And I only had one example to follow, and that was our father. And you couldn't ask for a better role model. Being the father of infants, toddlers, preteens, teenagers, it's an experience every day. And it's something I thank God for every day. Good night, everybody. Cheers.